Also, uh, I will be doing this from bed just like this because this is this is all I have fucking room for today. So just so you know. <laughs> Jason's the only one that's like, I'm ready. <laughs> I've been dealing with two children all friggin' and, day. And, I cook <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I did a full-time job. I helped them with their work. I'm ready for an adult conversation, and you two are acting like fucking children. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Change my diaper, Jason. <laughs> okay, we're ready. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hello. Hi, everyone. Just so everyone knows, we're extremely spicy tonight. So, <laughs> Chris and Trisha are. I don't know. I'm not oh. <laughs> Jason's as sober as a judge. Trisha is at her wit's end. You're going to hear her decompensate right here on the podcast. Trisha? I was on a phone call with a colleague, and I said, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. And he's like, why are you feeling this way? What's happened? <laughs> he was so gentle that I That's ended nice. up just sort of saying, oh, yeah, you know, I looked at the news. Full <laughs> <Cool>, stop. <laughs> I looked at the news. End of story. Uh, I looked at the news, and I was like, what? I think the thing that really got me was that I think a couple more states were added to our Western pack, the California Western pack. And I was just like, I can't believe we're doing this. I cannot yeah, believe we're doing we're this. We're cutting the country up. You know, I, uh, I have been restless all day. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've been tapping my foot all day and I can't stop. Like I'll, I'll put all my weight on my knee to stop and it's still going. I took a shot of whiskey, just like <laughs> I just need to calm down. But at the end of the day, I'm just sick of either sitting in this room or sitting in that room. <laughs> <laughs> you realize those are my options all day. It's now the evening and I woke up at eight and that's what I've been doing all day, sitting either right here or right over there. It's too much and I'm getting restless. And I think a lot of people are getting restless and it's making them reckless. The parks are packed. I went to the supermarket. You would have thought it was like that 1980 show supermarket sweep. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was in there. There are people on the streets everywhere. It was like 65 degrees today. So everyone's like really feeling themselves. And I feel like people are just in their mind, even though we know it doesn't make sense. They're like, well, this has gone on long enough. I think I can begin to ease restrictions for myself. And I'm always like, oh, I didn't know you were a virologist, but let's see how that works out. Does anyone notice that? Like uh, you're restless, Jason, right? I'm sure. Do you leave the house? You have to leave the house because you got to take the kids to their mother. Yeah, I do have to do that on a weekly basis. I mowed the lawn today. So that Congrats. was some outdoor activity. And then I went out with the kids and they blew bubbles in the driveway. Aww. That's cute. That's what they that, wanted to do. That's cute. Sometimes for fun, I go into my bathroom and gargle with the mouthwash. Um, <laughs> that's as close to bubbles in the driveway as I get. <laughs> You know, it's just a change of pace. It's minty. I was what? wondering about this, but I was wondering about parents. 
um, Jason, like, are you all trying to create like a sense of normalcy for your children? Like, are you all keeping up the like, yeah, you know, we're at home, but things are okay. Cause I'm looking at people online and I see people are doing, I think they're trying to like create these opportunities for their kids to have fun and be engaged. And obviously they can't show worry, right? You're that's like what a parent does. Like you can't put anything out there, right? You've got to create the safe space for your kids. Wow, you have a. I can't wait to hear this answer because, Trisha, that question's who are I you mean, describing? It's but probably right, who it's has the resources to do that in this moment? To quote someone I know very well, this we're in a fucking pandemic. <laughs> but I feel like parents can't quite do that for their kids. Like mentally, their kids need to be safe, right, in their own heads. No, Jason, you know parents. <laughs> I will speak on behalf of all parents now. First of all, I think it is important, you know, if you're feeling if your kids are feeling anxiety, it's important to validate that and to be open about your own anxiety. I have to say, though, and I've said this to other people, my kids are having a ball. Okay. now, first of all, my kids are fortunate in that they're close in age and they've got two other kids, Habby's kids in the house. So they have a four kid play date at all times. Oh, they're having a ball. They have no complaints. Uh, my my daughter misses her friends at school, but she does house party with them. So like my kids are fine. Like <laughs> I am least worried about them. They are fine. I, I kind of built in structure in the sense that they're getting schoolwork and they're they have kind of schedules. My daughter actually wakes up and makes herself a schedule based on her schoolwork. Um, I am thinking though, when school is over, if they can't go to camp then it's going to get real. And then I'm going to have to do what you just said, which I am not, I don't love having to come up with activities for them to do all day. (laughs) Well, I think that that's probably a little bit of what you're describing, Chris. It's like, I think for adults, the sun being out is is suggesting a, like a different mood, right? The weather is better, blah, blah, blah. But for your, for your kids, they're still in, they're still in school mode, but once vacation mode hits, it's a whole different kind of ball of wax. I have been talking to young people whose college um, years are up and whatever plans they had for the summer are now canceled. So they're just sort of like in this limbo, like staying at home as like quasi young adults. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, you know, I wake up and I look out the window and, (laughs) you know, they don't have jobs. They don't have schoolwork and there's nothing to do. Like, at least I can try and produce income somehow, like from my house, but it's it's tough all over and when summer does hit because summer programs are collapsing one by one by one like dominoes i don't know what parents are going to do because it sucks for the kids it's a terrible thing for the kids to miss camp if they're anticipating it but it's also bad for the parents who use that week or weeks as respite like parents don't get respite after all of this that you've been doing jason you don't get to send the kids to camp you just get to keep doing it <laughs> mm. right and and figure out how to occupy them without schoolwork yeah. yes yeah uh so well, you know be... what enter a new marketplace enter like a weight camp via remote stuff i mean i wonder if you can create experiences like enroll kids in like a camp experience of some sort i, I mean i think camps are there are camps trying to propose stuff like that i'm mm-hmm. not sure Okay, so for instance, like right there, and I'm going to leave this in, we just lost Jason's audio, right? So imagine like trying to do a camp activity call with like 30 kids. Do you know what I mean? 
gonna be bad. Like it's well, gonna something be something has to happen though, Chris, yeah. right? Like it's not a terrible something. idea. It's just that I I think I've been very clear that I am not comfortable with any of this distance communication. Like all of like classes being online, meetings being online, everything being online, I'm not really comfortable with it because I feel like the technology is not really there. It's not really there to give us like a synchronous experience of having a conversation. Now, the three of us are well-versed because we've been doing this podcast for four years and this works well enough, but not when you're really trying to convey information or learn or get something that you can't get another way suddenly. It's just, I, I'm not a big fan of this. And like, I think about it, I've thought about it, but like having like 60 children on a Zoom call. Well, you can't do 60 for definitely sure. What's the number? What's the number? I mean, there's 20? no magic number, right? But you got to pull them off into different spaces. Like I think, like what if you were to have like a house party app experience? Like there's a maximum for that, right? Like eight, I think it I is. I mean, the screen's only so big. Yeah. I mean, but I'm I'm just really mindful of the fact that there's going to be a need. Like I think there really is. Like there's going to be a need to break up like social activities in an interesting way for kids. Um, and the, it can't all just fall on the parents. Like it just. <laughs> I don't know who else is going to do it. I just don't know how you do it. Unless you seriously send your kids to like a sleepaway camp and they just have to stay there for eight weeks. So if they get sick, they get sick there. I don't know. Mm, no. No one's doing, no one's that. doing that. No one's no doing, one's doing that. that. I, I, all I'm saying is, ooh, I sounded so Long Island there. All I'm saying is. <laughs> well, all I'm saying is that's an option. Like that might be the only option. And if you don't like it, then that was your option. Cause I don't know how you're going to protect people going away for a two, three or four week experience because what we know about these incubation periods, like they're learning new stuff. It, it may take longer than 14 days. So like, there's no guarantee. Like if you send your kids away, you have to send them away for a long period of time or not, or just not send them away. Can you like sign kids up for gaming? Like, can you have constructive, interesting gaming experiences? For sure. Children? Listen, there's a whole... One thing I learned from this experience is that there's stuff to do online. Yeah. Like, there's so Thoughtfully much stuff to do online. And like I said, it's it's a whole new world. I don't know what it's like to try and get kids to sit in front of a screen like we're doing and have an experience. This kind of experience calls to skills and habits that children do not have. So I... I it, that's we, interesting. We had, a, we had a lengthy meeting about this today at work because we run summer school programs for districts all over the country. And it's like, what does this look like virtually? That it's exactly what you're talking about. How many kids can we really have with one teacher online? You know, how many breaks are they going to need? What skills do they need? That's this is exactly the conversation we had. Today. And it's also where the kids are. We had this conversation on this podcast many, many years ago, Jason, about your kids and the phone and how they use the phone and how they want to talk mm. on the phone or not talk on the phone. You know, and adults have this idea that, oh, the because kids are obsessed with television and screens, we have this idea that they will sit and attend to something that's happening in a synchronous fashion for a long period of time. But they they don't. They just they don't have the skill. Well, but in terms of gaming, that's an age thing, right? Like he, people seem to be able to like participate in online gaming for hours at an end. So is that like sure, a teenage like Fortnite issue? or something? Yeah, like is that teenagers? Is that really what what no. they have the capacity for that? Younger kids no, I see. can do it. I mean, my my son Minecraft. And he yeah. Is he big into old. Minecraft? No, he likes Fortnite. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. I'm sure. I'm sure they can do that. But I also I don't mean, want him doing that all. Day. I was just gonna say, but are parents okay with that? 
Oh. Well, I mean, you're gonna have to be. I mean, but I was, Jason that's said saying. no. I Jason know he said, said no. no, but I was just imagining if you did it, if you were able to sort of construct an experience that, um, that sort of modeled after after like an online online gaming experience. But it's about like communicating certain values or what have you. Who knows? Very thoughtfully. Um, but it's kids that you all know. You sign up into a program. You figure out a way to introduce the kids. Da 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 da. It's not you know, it's not a free for all. It's not strangers. Um, but there is an opportunity for kids to stay engaged on, in an online environment. It's just that we've traditionally thought of it as, in a dismissive way as like a gaming space. But it's a very good way to occupy their time for at least four hours, especially if you do like a half day experience, right? It's like every day we're waking up, we're meeting our friends online and we're doing this game and we're, you know, different you things know are happening. Uh, I'm going to use this opportunity to shift into one of our topics. Um, because like, I feel like we're kind of talking about it anyway. And what we want to talk about was entertainment, the sphere of entertainment right now in the middle of COVID-19. There are a numerous artists and actors and comedians and drag queens and orchestras who are moving their performances online. And it's definitely a shift. I think it's definitely a shift in the way that we think about whether it be theater or concert performances whatnot the other day there was the steven sondheim 90th birthday where all like these famous people sang songs from his musicals i know lady gaga put on something like a week or two ago got all these artists together it's interesting that we usually get our entertainment from a screen most people probably get the majority of their entertainment from a screen but does it feel different now because the artists are constrained I feel like there's something here to talk about. Do you have any ideas about this? There's definitely a constraint on the artist side, right? There's not a lot of setup that's possible. Because again, they're in their house by themselves. Unless they happen to hunker down with their band. It's really stripped bare, the experience. I did actually see something kind of intriguing. But I think it was a combination of a singular performer and then editing, which I think is actually a better use than a live experience. I'm not a fan of the live experience because I actually need it to be curated better. But I saw Alvin Haley, a group, do a performance. Like they were each Alvin Haley? Alvin Haley. You're dancing. so Jamaican. I know. You like mean my accent Alvin Haley. Okay. Right? I can't. My Jamaican accent came out. But yeah, so I was watching, they did a video where it's like different dancers were doing a particular piece in their apartment, and then they spliced it together into a whole bit. And I actually really enjoy that. I was fully tuned in for that. And so I think you can maximize it by actually using the magic of the medium to to its full effect. The idea, though, of like watching you sitting on your couch strumming a guitar I mean, it depends. It just depends on how well you're going to manage that experience. <laughs> I haven't been intrigued enough to check out any of those. Yeah, One other thing that's happening, too, is like you've got a lot of people doing readings of books. So Michelle Obama started that. She's going to do one, I think, a week or a month or something like that, reading popular books for children. I suppose that activity lends itself to sort of sitting there and listening to someone read and act out. I think that 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 feels like a performance that's worthy of the moment, but I don't think all the performances are. Jason, what do you think about where we are with entertainment right now? I think typically it's it's become the case that popular music, and I'm using that. I know we're not just talking about that, but popular music is such a manufactured experience from music videos. Even if it's live, it's often not really live. There's been a ton of work put into it. So I agree with what what Trisha just said. What you said about it being stripped bare. 
I have not really partaken either. The thing that I I keep seeing the pandemic and how we're behaving under it through this like climate change lens. And prior to this pandemic, I feel like there was a lot of talk about you have these like environmentally conscious bands that are going on tour and they're using a ton of gas and they're polluting the earth and everyone going to their concerts are. So bands, I think like Coldplay had like stopped touring because they're trying to figure out how to be environmentally responsible. I wonder whether where we are now gets us to a place where people don't feel like everyone needs to travel to a big, you know, a big concert venue to enjoy, you know, a live performance from an artist. It, it doesn't sound like we're that we figured it out to that extent yet, but I'm curious whether this is like a step in that direction. That's really interesting. I didn't think about the environmental aspect of it. I do think, like Trisha said, like using the magic of the medium, it's interesting to me that's this far into like our television history where like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like it seems like it would come to us like, oh, of course, that's what people will do. I'm interested in how quickly the entertainment sphere was able to pivot to doing things at home. The newscasters, it took like a day for them all to set up in a corner of their homes to start dishing out the news again. The late night TV hosts are all doing it from their homes. Saturday Night Live is doing it from their homes. And I have to tell you, the most interesting part of everything I just said is seeing where people live. (laughs) <laughs> that's part of, i mean it's react it's reality tv maximized right right i spend all of my time watching saturday night live at home like oh she lives on the upper west side oh yeah i know that building <laughs> and like some people have left the city i'm like oh god like keenan thompson totally lives in jersey like that's totally jersey and i was like oh no this bitch lives down south she flew back home is that new orleans like that's <laughs> But you know what? That was so meta. That's actually what, that's nice because you're having another layer of experience. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Then the one that's actually being crafted and shaped for you. What yeah. I thought was really interesting is I saw these pictures and this is like an unintentional impact because I think they perform like the NFL draft. This was like one of the they first did. times they had yeah. to do a whole full whole experience. Right. Even the cheerleaders were performing on their knees in the back of a room somewhere with pom poms. But just like the camera cuts to them. You know, it's all just one of them. Yeah, like at a time, and then they splice them together, make it seem like they're all in the room together. It's crazy, but then it was so funny because then you're watching. Like I think there was one of a guy in his living room. Let me tell you something. The excess, the excess was really startling to watch as well. Right? He's got Mm -hmm. this mansion, so it's like he's being forced to stay at home, but you're really being drawn into the disproportionate like ways that other people are experiencing this. And I was like, I don't know if they want to expose that fully. Because, you know, afterwards, there were so many memes about him. Like, what else can you do in this guy's house? It was massive. <laughs> it was like... Well, I was going to say this for recommendations, but it's it's relevant here. If you're on Twitter, follow the handle Rate My Skype Room. What it is, it's just copying pictures from newscasters or the rich and famous in their homes. And then people just rate their rooms. Sort of like, they'll just write, have like a picture of like Heather Locklear or something and be like, um, I like the plant. The lighting's a nice touch. Nine out of ten. Bad <laughs> though. I don't know if I love that because in some ways, this is like you know now this is what it means when people are like you know they're letting you into their homes and now it's like this deconstructed space for them now. I don't know. But, but is that any different than what Twitter and Instagram has been doing for stars? No, because anyway? they usually control it a little bit. Like there's in some ways this is like uncontrolled a little bit. But isn't that more authentic? Isn't I that? Mean, oh, let's not get I... into what that word. But you know what? That's you know, I'm a person actually I realize it. I like a little bit of staging. 
I don't know if I like authenticity in that way. You know what I mean? And so I have to say that I, I miss a little bit of editing. <laughs> I miss a little bit of lighting. <laughs> you know, like this rough and tumble, I'm going to bring it to you straight up. I'm just not, I like things polished. And so I don't know if I'm really feeling this like expression right now in this moment. <laughs> it feels cringy, doesn't it? Like when you're watching the Stephen Sondheim thing that I talked about earlier. It was supposed to start at eight o'clock in the night and it didn't actually go until nine. Raul Esparza, who is an actor, was supposed to host the thing. Anyway, like at about 8.30, he comes on, but there's no audio and he's talking and everyone could see like it's, and then people started tweeting at him being like, dude, we can't hear you. Then he knocked the computer off the table and you saw like, <laughs> and then like he's running around the room and I, I was like, oh my God, I can't look. I can't look. I am like you. I want a bit of artifice in my entertainment. I, I do. do. It I was really too do. real. I was like, oh man. And then like, I was like, how many millions of people are watching this fool run around? Like, oh. I've been entertained by a documentary that's live and everything. And it's about Michael Jordan. And I love it because it's, it's 20 years later. It's well-produced. It's a well-produced experience, but it's one of the newest things that we can all watch together. And it's fantastic to watch that it. And Tiger so I was like, King, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for the proper use of sure. editing and all the tools sure. at your disposal, right? You know what I mean? Like, I have to say, I brought up SNL before. The last mm -hmm. two episodes that they've done at home have been two of my favorite episodes in years. Why? Because it's Why? not live. Like, like they're recording it at home, sending it into NBC, who's editing it together, like the pieces. Oh, it's is that how they're doing it? I thought it was live. No, come on. I mean, well, that would we, make it really good. I mean, oh, that would make it. Model. You'd be hiding underneath the couch because the the technical difficulties would yeah. be insane. So, like, the whole experience is edited, and it's never been funnier. Which I don't know if that bodes uh, well for that show. That's like the antithesis of what I just said. Well, it's so funny because I actually thought they were doing it live because I was like, well, of course you could do it live. That's mm -mm. what you've been doing all along. Mm -mm. They're not <laughs> so doing you it don't live. Like, we don't Each like one of the performers the in their different homes are producing writing and producing their pieces, they do it at their home. So like I said, you you see them, like sometimes they do stuff together, but that is edited together. And it, I don't know, I like it. So what does this say for like, and I mean, we're asking this question in the world of work, the world of education, but the world of entertainment. Jason, are we gonna go back to concerts? I have to think that there's gonna be a little bit of both. Like I think there will be some splintering off. I would think, and people say this about restaurants, they say this about other things, I, I can't imagine you're not going to see a drop in the numbers of people who go to in-person things with large crowds. Either because they're freaked out, they're going to get something, whether it's COVID or whatever, or because it's like, you know what, I really used to spend a ton of money going to concerts and like, well, I don't even need to, I can stay home and, and watch on screen. So I think you're going to see those numbers drop. I think, you know, we're talking about, we're seeing all the struggles here. I think we'll see some things come out of this time that will last. There are people who will be dying to get back to concerts. There are people who will be dying to get back on planes, dying to get back in restaurants. So I think it's going to be a little bit of everything. Literally dying, Jason? Although I do think that... <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Well I think that if they could figure it out, I think the Instagram concert is here to stay. Well, that's disappointing. Why? You know, on the toolbox ultimately. Well, you know what? Remember, people wanted to try to do concerts. They tried to do it like YouTube Live or or Twitter Live, but it just never quite took off. Do you know but why? 
Why? Fucking technical difficulties. But These things are hard to do. I know Instagram has been able to do it, though. So it was interesting. So I was like, huh. That, and that's a stretch for that medium, because I don't think that was really one of the things that it was really known for was the idea of just like this room this live space instagram live and going in and sort of watching someone perform but i actually think that if done well can can still stick around (laughs) to speak to what you're saying i feel as if i mean jason's saying that the instagram live concert is just one more tool in the toolbox listen i i i watch about two hours of drag shows a week Right, mm-hmm. the cup drag queens are going on Instagram trying to make their money, even though they do it every week. Yeah, they can't master the technical difficulties. Okay, now these are just people with a ring light in their bedroom. I get it, and yeah. if you have a lot of money, whatever. But as we saw with the baby face thing two weeks ago, <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like when you're left to figure it out on your own without a production team, it's freaking hard. It's really hard. And streaming services, look, I've been saying this about streaming for like 15, 20 years and people are like, Chris, you're such a dinosaur. Streaming sucks. It, there's there's too much it relies on for it to be perfect. Yeah. It's it's just not worth it. Like it's just not worth it. So, I mean, I, for one, I want this period to pass. I, I want, if, uh, entertainment wise, I want people to give concerts. Although now I feel guilty because of Jason's environmental thing that he just said. Now I'm like a bad guy. You notice that Jason you always makes me were. Bad guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're already animals. animals. I mean, but Jason, wow. but don't you think that this just makes the case for um, broadband? I was just going to say, no, that 5G's gonna fix that's all this. you need. That's our problem. We don't have broadband. Oh, is that all we need? 5G is going to no. fix everything. But, but <laughs> I mean, Look, this moment's exposing that we could do with better broadband, but like we don't have better broadband right now because it's either not profitable for whatever reason. We don't, I mean, the technology exists. Maybe we're going to have like a quantum leap in technology for this kind of thing, but like we've been broadcasting things since the 1800s. I feel as if that if it's going to get better. I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm, well, where I'm trying to go in, with that. There wasn't any incentive for it now. But there's, there's no incentive for it. Once this there, is over, there's no continued no, there's incentive no, for it. But there's no sense that this is over in a certain way. Because that's the question is what what lingers, right? And so even to Jason's point, broadband is going to be u- super useful for um, for uh, education. Like, I mean, there's a this now people have been making that pitch that broadband should be a utility for years. Like, it should just be, like, phone lines that you, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think to some degree, this is making the case for the possibility of what what could be gotten and what could be gained. Similar to something like the post office. It's like, people are like, well, we don't need post. Well, guess what? Things need to be delivered. And, you know, physically delivered, but also electronically delivered. You know what? It's a great point. And it, I hadn't thought about this before, Trisha, but I think, I think what you just said really made me think about this. Like, we're... We are already starting to see and will continue to see because of this whole thing. There's a lot of money that's going to be diverted and invested into this. And I'll tell you a very concrete example from my job from today. So today I got an email from our lobbyists in Georgia who said, oh, all the money that Georgia has for schools to improve that haven't been doing well, which every Title I money, every state in the country gets it. Georgia is now basically saying to its school districts, you got to use it for something related to distance learning. And Georgia is a place where, as you can imagine, a lot of rural areas, a lot of places are having been broadband. Now that's the mandate. And and by the way, the educator in me is like, that's really annoying because kids need to learn to read. 
<laughs> and like yeah. <laughs> you're putting all the money into broadband, like put it in a good instruction. But that's where it's going to go because that that's so I do think this is forcing a kind of priority and a lot of money is going to go here that wasn't going here before because it wasn't the priority. And believe me, the entertainers will come right behind there. However, they can figure out a way to maximize that. If they can find a way to monetize this. Yeah. And it's like now it's in your home. Like now we don't have to worry about your capacity to have an, an electronic device in your home that's not Wi-Fi based. Here you go. And so I think, you know. That's a market opening up for people. Those are people you didn't have access to before. Those are those are eyes. I would so, argue that that I would argue the market already existed through the things like Netflix and Hulu. Like you think about the sure. I think last time I checked, seven hundred billion comedy specials on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just a I think the delivery system already exists. I think why we're seeing such a boom is like one, we don't have another choice, and two, all this stuff is free because they're trying to settle a very sure. restless populace. So, I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful, like you, Jason. I'm hopeful, like both of you. I'm hopeful that the money will go into broadband. It's just that what I was trying to express before is that we knew broadband was kind of shitty before. We we all knew that. Like the Attorney General of New York was suing our cable company here because like they promised one thing, then don't give it to us. And then we're all kind of like, oh well. Like we know it's a shitty service. So I don't know why this moment is going to make people go, Oh, it's shitty, let's fix it. We always knew that. Well, because um, it's now essential. Yeah, you're so dependent on it. Because you're dependent I, on it. It before it was a luxury item. It was right. like you you either have it or you're not. But remember, Europe it's a totally different ball of wax. In Europe, it's just a given. America's really been the behind the eight ball on this. In closing this out, I always want to put this out there and you just to react. You know what's done forever? What? Movie theaters. Nah. Oh, I, I think the same thing I said earlier about concerts where um, I think the numbers will certainly drop already. New movie theaters were afraid of Netflix and everything. So there are certainly people now like, why would I ever pay for a movie theater before? But at the same time, there are people who as soon as they, they get a chance are going to be running out to the movie theater. Maybe myself included, actually. I don't Shared go to concerts, experience. But... Shared experience is still powerful. I think what you have now is big tent movies, which is where it was moving anyway. It becomes a special event kind of experience. It's maybe not something that you're going to be like, box office every weekend. Maybe it's actually something where there's a movie that comes out a couple of times a month or something that you all have to show up and see. Like the next Black Panther, people are going out to see. Yeah, we're not seeing that at home. We want to have unless they don't together. have to. I don't know what the new world has in store for us, but I feel as if in America in the last ten years, the two public spaces that have been especially fraught have been schools and movie theaters. This moment has shown us that, you know, it's not perfect, but we've made inroads into not replacing school, right? But finding a way to figure out what to do with education using our technology. And movies were already there with Netflix. So it seems to me now, after receiving all of my all of my entertainment from my TV or my computer, it's a hard sell for me to be like, hey, Chris, do you want to spend $19 to go watch a two-hour movie in a dark theater with people you don't know who are extremely belligerent and you can't tell them to shut them up, shut up? And if they do, if you do tell them, they shoot you? How's that? Actually, make it $21.50 for 3D. Mm -hmm. I just, it's a really hard sell for me. And me, I think it's going to be a, a hard sell for a lot of people. To Jason's point. The performance aspect of going out, dressing up, and seeing mm -hmm. other Black people was amazing for Black Panther. Sure. 
You know what I mean? That, that's what I mean, though. But that's the only type of experience. It's going to have to be an experience. It can't, can't just be like perfunctory. I'm going to a movie. It has to be a whole yeah. experience. People aren't going to go see comedies anymore. Like a, ran, like a random comedy that doesn't have special effects and stuff. I don't see people paying for that. Ooh. Signature movies again. You remember when people used to dress up and go out? Woo-hoo. Maybe that's the whole point of a movie experience is like you end up having to like wear costumes of some sort. And, well, like, this is, you've thing. wanted this for so long, Trisha, and it's happening. <laughs> you've always wanted an experience at the movie theaters like an entire <laughs> evening. And here it comes. <laughs> You're right. No well, one's going to line up. For, right? No one's going to risk their lives to see how to lose a guy in ten days or some <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but you, but you might, but you might risk your life, right, to go dress up, have some cocktails, and no, have- I'm not risking my life for that. Either. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Listen, you two go to the movie theaters. I'm done. You can I'm say, done. This is, this is how the population is going to splinter, just like this. I'm Grumpy done. old people like Chris oh, are going to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> dare you. How dare you. Well, I, I, I said <laughs> Jason and the elimination of the digital desi- divide accidentally. Accidentally. <laughs> Not for any real reason like education, but because, hello... People are trapped in their homes. We need to get them advertising. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Jason, let's let's shift away from COVID for a little bit. You want to talk about your favorite thing, equity. What do you want to talk about? Ever since the 2016 election, I've just been thinking about, like, what is the rallying cry for equity? You know, we saw this campaign where we had a candidate who used very perverse but very concrete marketing techniques to really rally people, the concept of a wall, stop people from coming over the border. So I've been thinking about that for a while. It's just like, what, what, how do you make equity as sexy or as galvanizing as something like a wall or make America great again? And so I've been thinking about that. And then just very recently, past couple of days, I was listening to um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he has, uh, it's like part six of his like World War I series. And he, he's talking about Lenin. And, and Lenin's big motto that rallied so many people to join the Bolsheviks in Russia. And it was peace, bread, land. And I was like, man, it's just, it's so simple. You know, Russia's in World War One. People are dying. Like a lot of Russian young men are, are dying at the front. People don't have enough to eat because of the corrupt, you know, political system. People, you know, don't have access to land because you have a very small minority that own everything. And it's just so concrete. And I just, I don't. Like we need like a marketing campaign like that to rally people, enough people in this country behind equity. And I I just don't, I don't know what it is, but I feel like we need something like that. And there are other historical examples of like really simple, tangible concepts. And we just don't have that for equity. So I'm hoping you two have the answers. Could you define equity as you see it? What do you mean? I think equity is ensuring that everyone has access to certain important resources, healthcare, opportunity for education, everything I'm thinking of comes back to those things. But, you know, opportunity to participate in the economy in a meaningful way that matches what people's interests are. So So like whether you're someone with a disability, whether, you know, no matter what race you're from, no matter what country you were originally born in, like you're here in the United States, like we have, you know, can we rally people to make sure everybody has access? The thing that's so tricky about that is so many of these um, ideas are fraught, right? But I feel like you could fundamentally get people to rally around the idea of two things that are very, very value 
space in the United States, but I still think people would buy into it. Jobs. Because regardless of how you feel about a job, everyone believes that people should have a job. So it's like, why are you not working? You got you, you're yeah. cap- you're able-bodied. Get a job, right? So a job for everyone. I think you could rally people around that, and then I think you can rally people around the idea of a place to live. Food is a little tricky, <laughs> which is weird. But I think you can wrap it into shelter. But I think jobs and shelter. I think you can get people really keyed oh. into it. It feeds into the Protestant work ethic around jobs. Whatever, you know, you could say it like whatever job is available for you. If we match your skills with a job, don't worry about whether it's the best job in the world. Or da, 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 da. You have a job. I think you can get people really excited about that on all levels. Oh, I... And I think shelter, homelessness is a big issue for lots of people. I think it annoys people to see the homeless, whether it's just an inconvenience for some whatever value judgments you want to make about that. But I do think that you could really get people to rally around the idea that every American deserves a job and a place to live. I like that. I disagree. Oh, all right. She she just sold me. I'm voting for her. So you better have some. (laughs) No, do not, do not vote for her. Um, (laughs) She's a drunk. Um, no, no, no. Let's stick to the topic, Chris. No personal <laughs> No, Don't this is America. No Don't attack ads. <laughs> Actually, I agree with half of what you said. I do think that jobs are unequivocally positive. People who have issues with groups of people, I think, like, I think the, the MAGA people and like the lefty liberals have an idea that people should be working. I think, like you said, food is tricky. I think shelter is tricky. Because of the caste system here in America, I think you can find Americans who will 100% agree that some people simply don't deserve shelter without having to pay for it or work for it or in some way economically transact for it. So I think you're right. I think jobs, you could say to any American, don't you want more jobs? Don't you want your neighbors to have jobs? Don't you want your kids to have jobs? And 100% of Americans be like, yes. I think this is an interesting thing to come out now, though, because of the conversation that Andrew Yang started last year and now the fact that America is basically giving people universal basic income or some sort of shaded flavor of it. I think it's that might change. You know, maybe others in the future, people might be like, well, maybe not jobs, just income. But right now in in this freezed moment in time, I think you're right, Trisha, it's jobs, but it's not food. It's not shelter. A lot of Americans, like we're punishing when it comes to the poor. We don't think that those people deserve any of those things. So the question is, what kind of a job would people rally around? Then it could serve that need, right? You could serve that need by saying the job would have to be at a perform a certain um you'd have to have a minimum income level well you're going too far jason's question was what's the rallying cry the rallying cry is jobs 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 that's it no and i think yeah i mean both of what i think what you both said is very compelling i mean i think about like that was what fdr sold right great depression yeah most people don't have shit but he's like you're gonna have a job and yet he was like we're gonna create you know tennessee valley authority and like we're gonna create all these all these organizations so people have jobs, whether they're needed or not, whether there's a demand for them or not. And he got elected four times. It's weird. Jobs. I, 
it's jobs. It's jobs. But I think it is the rallying cry that would get people really excited. I can't think of a single other thing. You still have to believe that there's the capacity for it to, to make it possible. You know, you're not yeah. saying millionaires. People don't think it's possible, even though they have a fantasy about it. But you could create a narrative around the fact that there are new jobs that are emerging and new possibilities for people um, and hope. But you're right. It, jobs just really feed into all the psychological baggage I, of America. So. Jason? No, I was just going to say, Chris, you were worried this would take five minutes, and it seems like it did, so I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but I did not know that answer. Like, I, you two have really converted. Well, is there another thing? Is there something else that you think people would rally around? No. Nothing else besides jobs? Marriage? No. I'm just trying to think about all the basic drives. Really? That's it? Jobs? It's jobs. It's work. It's gross, right? But that's where we're at. I can't think of anything It's only because It's only because, like, we hate poor people. And so a lot of the things that people need, we want to either, like, criminalize, belittle, or shame people for needing them. So, but jobs, you're being productive, you're, yeah. con- you know, you're contributing to society, like as much as it doesn't matter how shitty the job is, like if you're a chicken plucker making 14 cents a day, at least you have a job. Like, that's where we're at. That's where we've been at. We've been, that's where we've been since the country began, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, make yourself useful. Like, that's it. Exactly. And that, and you know, and that was kicking to high gear after the industrial revolution. Like, that's just come on the me- your measure of your worth is how much you can work so yeah i think it's a shame it? that it's not food i think it's a shame it's not education yeah but here yeah. we are it's ugh. i don't like do where you, this took what us you, i'm depressed now no, but what, do, what do you think about what do you do you think that the idea of essential jobs has buttressed this idea even more so that now people understand that there's actually valuable work aside from what we've I, always pe- sort of dismissed. people knew that i don't think no. that's Oh, I disagree. I think people knew that doctors, not people, not your garbage collector, not your people who cleaned your. I'm um, not your janitors. I you think know. the pro. I think the problem, though, I could be wrong about this, but the narrative I keep hearing is we don't take care of our essential workers, right? Yeah. We didn't. We haven't given them PPE. We're not paying them enough. They're risking their lives. And so while there's a new kind of spotlight on them and i think people are feeling more appreciation for them i'm not sure people are wanting to sign up to do them to do essential work because of it looks like we just throw those people to the dogs well there's that part of it so you could make it you could make a whole campaign around making that better right you could make you know you can say they're heroes and we should treat them better and blah 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 you could do a lot that's of true that's yeah, true that would be teachers. a powerful yeah but yeah. I think what I what I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, well, that did yeah, not I work know. for teachers. I then know. people don't pay them. We disrespect them constantly. I I think I think it's interesting what you two are bringing up, but there there's no there there. Well, I think I'm not saying it changes it. What I'm saying though is the idea of work is getting a real um, do over right now, because even thinking about think now other people who are at home recognize that there's a whole layer of work. That has kept their life afloat. Not that they're going to change their behavior around it, but you can actually now have a conversation about why your why your life was possible before. You know, you're talking about two different things. One, and I want to poll the people on this call. 
Were you confused or under any illusion that the way that you live your life is completely supported by the garbage men, the people at the electric company, like the people who pave the roads, the bus drivers? Like, were you harboring any illusion? Listen, I'm not going to people. I'm not going to pretend that I was completely keyed into that. Not at all. There's not, a part well, of them that was completely keyed in is different no, from being aware. I was loosely aware, but okay, but that's well, that's all you need. Like you need to no, be loosely I, aware. I think it's different, Chris, though, and I, and I think part of the reason is it's accentuated right now. Like I do, I mean, honestly, when I took out the trash the other day, I do feel much more cognizant of the fact that people are coming and taking the trash because, in a moment like this, if there weren't people to do that, like my goodness, would I feel like health was even at greater risk than it is now. I don't know. I feel I feel like for me, things feel it's like people in certain certain roles feel accentuated. Like I definitely feel a deeper appreciation for several roles than I did before. Interesting. Maybe I'm constantly checked into my privilege. Maybe because I live in a gigantic city, which just feels, I think cities in themselves just feel very like anti-human in a way, because I'm constantly aware that I rely on hundreds of systems and literally thousands of people to maintain my lifestyle. Now, when the quarantine started in my co-op, there was an issue where they, it wasn't just my co-op, it was the neighborhood. Like the garbage collectors were complaining because as you can imagine, everyone's home generating trash instead of going to Manhattan yeah. and generating the trash. <laughs> like it was just too much trash. Yeah, sure. And whenever I take out my trash, I'm always like, all they have to do is not come for three days and we'd it'd be Mad Max in it'd be, here. It'd be medieval times, right? It yeah, would be, it'd be people throwing their stuff out the window. Literally dumping buckets full of shit out the window. Like we're just three days away from that. And I'm aware of it. I'm not I'm not completely keyed in, like, but I'm aware of that. This moment, I don't know if anyone needed to be reminded that doctors and ambulance drivers are essential. You know, I think we're beating up on them right now because of, there's a there's a political battle in this country, weirdly, about a pandemic. I'm not going to say no, but I'm interested in the fact that there is a swath of Americans who are like, huh, our roads get paved and, you know, the hospital's open and it's not magical elves, it's people. I, I... Except you're saying that, except we vote, we, people elect, people elect officials that promise to eliminate those things. No one, so no like, one campaigned on eliminating doctors and hospitals. No, you're, you're, you're offering, first of all, I said essential workers and I don't mean doctors. That's well, not what I mean. Well, in this moment, when I hear essential worker, that's what I'm hearing. But what, do you, what mean, do you mean? I don't mean healthcare workers. What what Jason's talking about are all the other things that make a city run. Those are essential people, the people who just have not taken any time off. Like so like the your bus drivers, your subway drivers. Like subway drivers, all of those people who are basically helping you navigate the system. And even just the people who pave the roads. I mean, all of the kind of infrastructure of a city or of a town, of an industry, of a whatever. Those are sort of the invisible laborers that people have just taken for granted. And we talk about this all the time when we see bridges are like being like eroded and people are like, who's going to pay for that? You know what I mean? Those are the people who build those bridges, construction workers. Just, just I think about all of those pieces as part of a very delicate operation that is usually provided by the government that we sort of dismiss, right? And 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 just think it's going to exist. And so well, that's I, what I mean. There's been a kind of erosion of that valuing of those people for quite some time. Well, and I, I would add to that, and this 
I'm definitely checking my privilege now. Like when it comes to people working in grocery stores, right? And we've talked, I was listening today to our conversation with Roseni about how stressful the grocery store has gotten. When I go to the grocery store now and I look at the people working there, I'm like, you are in this place all day. <laughs> like this has been ground zero. You know, early on, folks, they didn't even have PPE. Like they were working in grocery stores and like I was just aware that they are – out here exposing themselves to something we're all afraid of and I get to run home um, and not have to deal with. And like, they're just here all day, every day. I, prior to all of this, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not like disrespectful or anything, but I, I, I'm like, oh, well, that's a job. Like, it's not a skilled job. A lot of people could do that. Like now I'm like, I really appreciate those people. Like I, in a way that I didn't before. Color me corrected. I, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Again, maybe I mean, have, I maybe just. Maybe you haven't been corrected. Maybe you've always no, been tuned into it. I, I'm, I'm trying to hear what you're saying. I'm trying to imagine the Americans who took that to granted to such the level that they never considered where they'd be without them. There's been a the lot ladies of. Ladies who brunch. They don't think about the people. I mean, like, like there's a whole group of those, right? And have I you ever watched like, the well, Kardashians? Not, what are you talking not about? Not thinking about them versus not valuing them which i think is a really loaded word like value as far as like how you're treated how much you're paid and stuff that's different from understanding the importance in your life you know all those ladies who lunch right now whose roots are growing out believe me they understand like how pivotal these people were in their lives no like, they don't what are- no because valuing is different from understanding the effects of i no. can't get my hair cut right now right so i'm cutting my hair by myself i understand that my hair gets cut every two weeks. Whether I value the guy in you know East Harlem who does it is a different conversation. Do I think my hair gets cut magically? No, I understand that I rely on people to do those things. But it's the same thing with teachers. As every parent in America is learning, teachers are essential. Does that translate to, into them after this is over being like teachers need to get paid no, more? No, two different conversations. Yeah, but I at no point in time did I talk about this meaning translating into money. That's okay. I I agree. I but yeah, I haven't. Said I agree that. with you. But what I'm understanding is that you two are saying like there's a swath of Americans who did not connect the fact that people are doing things like the, the bus buses don't run by themselves. I like in 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 New York City when there was a the the transit strike, people it took people two seconds to understand how that would affect their lives. Because every day they ride in the train, they're aware that it doesn't run on its own. You're trying, I think you're making a really fine distinction that I don't think is necessary. I think everyone understands that things happen and people are making them happen. But, but the idea that you see their lack and it now it strikes you differently is what I'm talking about. Like there I mean, are would quiet say... people that make your life work. Yes, someone has been cutting your hair. But you know what? Now that you don't get your hair cut, you kind of like, you know what? God damn it. I really do need to ha- get haircuts. I've just been scheduled. Because sometimes they're just a part, they're just habits. They're habits yeah, I, of your day. I would, you know? The way I would describe it is it moves from an intellectual understanding to more of an emotional response. Yeah. A real one. That's how I would characterize. I don't even have to count on my perception of it. I just listen to people tell their own stories of it. Their own awareness of it is like being, they're tuned in in a different way than they had been. Now, will that translate into paying these people more? Probably no. not. No, of course not. <laughs> but <laughs> is there a reawakening in that way? I Most likely not. I don't know how that you make that shift, but I'm not necessarily even asking for that shift. Some people will be changed. Not Maybe not all, but some will. Some will be, some will, will, will 
operating the world differently because that's what happens with experiences right it alters some people and for others it's just another another day let's move into recommendations which is something that you've seen heard read or experienced you think other people should see here read or experienced jason i was listening to the moth radio hour and there was a segment uh, by a guy named Colin Channer, who's fellow Jamaican to the two of you. Um, he, he had this, uh, it's called To Catch a Teeth. It's very funny. It's about his love of comic books as a kid. And it, there's so much in there. It's a hilarious story. My favorite part, which I'm sure I will, I will butcher, but, you know, he says, in Jamaica, you don't steal, you thief. And you don't mm-hmm. thief, you teeth. Your teeth. Your teeth. <laughs> It's awesome. Trisha, what's, what's your recommendation? Ah, I read another book this weekend. Look Woo-hoo! at you. You're you're officially yeah, a reader yeah. again. You're I'm a tear. reader again. But I've had this book on my bedside, I think, no joke for two years. So I'm super excited that I made my way through it. So it is Sister Outsider, Beaches by Audre Lorde. Yes, good Thank stuff. Thank you. God, this was so good. Everyone, if everyone doesn't know, Audre Lorde is a writer, activist, and mother of two. Most people know her now, I guess, probably from, uh, there's an online community that's all dedicated to her, but I can't remember what it is anymore. Oh, I can't I remember. know that. Most people know, know, her, know her mostly as a lesbian. Fabulously oh, radical <laughs> black lesbian. Oh, God. No, but that's really She's what they call A radical black female Let- poet. Well, you know, it's so funny because, you know, she writes and she's like in her writing, she'll say something like as a black lesbian woman, you know, it's just right. It's like a long list of her. It's like a long list. And she's always letting you know that she's just she's just the outside. But anyway, there's just like some really, really great essays in it. Um, There are two really key pieces that I really love. She does. There's a whole chapter on the erotic and defining what erotic means. And I was like, I really love that. Like I've never seen erotic presented a non-sexually before. And just this idea of energy that animates you and, and essentially sort of gets you going in your life, I think is how I've interpreted it. I thought that was really interesting. And then she has a really, really cool essay on kind of black sisterhood and kind of interpreting the fact that black women she feels are kind of reared with a sense of like boiling rage always and how that sometimes gets turned inside on itself where it's like they hate themselves, we hate ourselves, but then also we hate other black women and how that plays out in sort of a uh, racist society. That's just like, that's just like some deep, crazy unpacking of your own self kind of <laughs> chapter. Really, really good. Really, really excited that I read it. I'm definitely going to pick up other things that she's written. I really love it. I'm really excited that I've taken the time to do it. So Sweet. Yep. I binge watched a show on Netflix called Messiah. And never heard of it. it was amazing. So it, the story takes place in current day. It starts in Syria, um, where these Palestinians are suffering in Syria and a man appears and he preaches that you know they're going to be saved and that things are going to be okay and like a giant s- sandstorm appears and it forces out like the ISIL forces who were threatening the city and this man who uh, doesn't he doesn't give his name but they call him Al-Masid which means the Messiah he takes the Palestinians and he he says follow me 
and they walk to Palestine, as it were, Israel. The show is asking, is this the Messiah? Is this the Savior? An FBI agent, uh, sorry, CIA agent played by Michelle Moynihan aims to find out and prove that he is just nothing more than a cult leader. Uh, as the show goes on, you ask yourself, is he the Messiah or is he just a con man? And if you want to know the answer, you're going to have to watch. It was fully entertaining. It was, you know, if you're interested in the politics of the Middle East, even if you aren't, it presents a really well-told narrative and story. It's only getting one season, so you can sit and watch it and not think that everything's going to be twisted up by some bullshit second season. Uh, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Every male actor in the thing is bangable. So there you go. Oh what? Well, you know what? Some people you know ask so the great? question, Jason. You know what's so great about your recommendation? What? You don't have to worry about whether it gets better after season one. <laughs> well, you know, it, this is the kind of show that doesn't need a season two. I, I won't give no. anything away other than, you know how like um, unreliable narrator is used as a trope in stories? Yep. Mm -hmm. This is not that, but whether or not the show takes a stand to whether he is the Messiah or not is really up for you to determine. There's a, there, All the information is in there, mm -hmm. but it ends. <laughs> the, the story ends, and whether the question is answered or not is a matter of debate, and that's awesome. It's that so cool. well scripted. Cool. Please watch it. You know what? Like I always say about these things, just watch the first 20 minutes, and if you don't like it, stop. Good luck. It's well, you know good. what? I think I like what I like about this is then it's only a season because I seem to not have the stomach for any more anymore. It's 10 episodes. I spent a day and a half watching it and I couldn't, you know, and they do that thing that they did on like Scandal or The Blacklist where it's like the last four seconds of the show, something happens and you're like, fall. <laughs> you're like, oh, I, have to, I have to watch the next episode now. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <sighs> That was fun, you guys. Trisha, how do you feel? Any any less insane or? Uh, you know, it's, you know, people are my drug. So I feel really good now. We've had good. a really nice time together. And, you know. We have. Yeah, you were just out of sorts. You were like totally Miss Hannigan when this started. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, you know what it is? It's like, you know, I, it's, I'm just, I'm trying to feel my feelings more. And it's just like, in the pandemic, you sort of have to figure out what keeps you going, I guess. Mm -hmm. you, because so many of your activities are gone. And for you, it's people? I think for me, it's just social time. Like being outside, sitting in a cafe, even and if I'm like by traveling myself. traveling too. What cafe? I love traveling. But you know what? To be honest, the traveling is less. I'm, I don't miss that as much. It's more just like I really do go out in the city. Like I, I go out and I sit around. And, Ooh, you're you know. part of the problem. <laughs> I am. <laughs> you are. You're part of keep your ass at home. Oh no no I don't but I'm just saying I haven't been so I'm literally I'm not I'm not one of those people showing up at the beaches that Gavin is upset about I'm like Phil. Gavin I love my romance I love it oh boy we have to talk Girl, about your romance with Gavin Newsom first name basis <laughs> anyway by governor um, of science that's a great title hi I'm Gavin governor Newsom of science? governor of science <laughs> <laughs> alright and on that note everybody bye bye